<laughs> we, can you believe it? This morning is very exciting because we are doing our last focus on the book of Exodus. Don't say hallelujah because that will be bad. That will mean like, oh, yeah, thank God we're done with Exodus. I just want to mention it, that um, we are finishing off in the book of Exodus and we're actually going to launch into something very exciting after this. I'm not going to tell you anything about it though. All right, you just um, keep hanging there in suspense. But praise the Lord, we've been talking about being drawn out to being drawn in. And that's the title of our message. Again, it's part two. Last week we started off with it and we are at a final stop in the book of Exodus. So please take up your Bibles or turn on your phones and swipe to Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 34 and look at a few things from there. Last week, we, we mentioned to you that the predominant theme throughout the book of Exodus is this thing that, that Moses, uh, on behalf of God, said, let my people go. Remember that line? We said last week, it's a sentence that's often repeated, but it's an incomplete sentence. When God said to Pharaoh, let my people go, it wasn't just let my people go, it was so that they may go and do something. And and we find that that sentence is repeated or completed rather through the latter part, which says, let my people go so that they may go and worship me or serve me. And so we, we emphasize on the fact that in the book of Exodus, God's people were released to go and worship him and serve him. And so we said that they received freedom from slavery to go into freedom for something else. And the freedom for was to worship God, all right? That we're not just delivered from slavery. And we know that the picture of the Israelites being in slavery in Egypt is a picture of our own world today. You agree? You agree? I was just checking because I'll make sure the people are with me and focused and not thinking about the, the soccer score of yesterday, which I have no idea what the score was. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go into detail because just now some people will be quite upset because they are reminded of their team that lost yesterday. Others will be very happy. But anyway, so God said, I want my people out. I want to take them from um, slavery into freedom of service, serving me. And there's a beautiful verse that I want to take you to in Galatians 5. By the way, keep your, keep your finger in, um, in Exodus 34. Because it's going to be now to the other side of the Bible. Galatians. Why don't you say Galatians with me? Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Read it with me. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not be submit, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Beautiful picture that we have in, in Exodus where the Israelites were taken out of slavery for something else. Paul now, in a spiritual sense here in Galatians 5 says, do not go back to a yoke of slavery. You've been set free from it. He says here in verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. You're not just set free to be free from slavery. You're set free to live unto God and to worship God with all that you have. All right? So that's the quick, that's the big question for us today, actually. Not just are you free? Because then all of us will probably say, yeah, I'm free. I'm not talking about free from people. I'm talking about free from sin. 
But you're not just free from sin, you're free for something else. And that's what we really want to talk about. And it's that freedom for worship that is so incredibly important for us as believers. Are you expressing yourself to God and are you living in constant worship of Him? I'm not talking about the worship that you've just experienced through music. We always say that worship is not just a singing or song. We've got to talk about what, really, what worship really is to help us understand that and, and to almost in a sense identify, am I really living in this thing that God's created for me? The Israelites were freed from something to go into something else. Are you free from something to go into something else? And have you entered that? And that thing that we refer to as worship. And so what is worship really then? Just quickly, I want to say this to you. It's the recognition of the value of God and centering our lives around Him. It's recognizing God, that He is most valuable, and I center my life around that focus, that He is the most valuable one in my life. No one else is. True worship, therefore, is valuing or treasuring God above all things. I'm going to say that again. True worship is valuing God and treasuring Him or treasuring Him above anything else. And so that above anything else is anyone else, any place else, any person, anything. Any activity that you appreciate, that you love, that's great to have, but God says, I want to be valued above that. I've set you free from sin to come and value me above everything else. If we do not value him above everything else, then we're actually caught up in some bondage still. Because that's keeping us occupied, and we're actually still in Egypt, so to speak. And so the reality is that worship, I want to put this up to you, for you. The, re- the reality is that worship can be either one of the following. There are three things that I just want to mention to you quickly as we as we prepare to go into this chapter in 34 of Exodus. There are only, there are three ways in which worship can be expressed. It's firstly, is it can be idol worship. Where there's something or someone that becomes more important than God. But it's still worship. So that's what we often say, is that there's a problem of worship in the world. Is that God is not worshipped. God is not worshipped, something else or someone else is worshipped. This is good, hey. And, and so we want to make sure that we're not engaged in that kind of worship at all. And only you can answer that. Nobody can come and, and judge you on it and condemn you for it. But we've got to challenge one another about anything else that is valued more highly than God is idol worship. Then there's another form of worship that happens. It's when we have worship that's idol or it's really God is not valued as much as he should be. We worship him, but there's idol worship, I-D-L-E. It's not, Jesus says this in, in the book of Revelation. He says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're in between. It's like you're idling. You're not really passionate about me. I'm there, I'm, I'm sort of part of your reference, but I'm not the most important one. Other things are still more important. Idol worship, there's no, God is not even involved. It's like, I worship this thing. 
idle, I-D-L-E, is when God is not valued fully. Every now and again, when I consider Him, I'll, I'll do that. But most of the time, what is most important to me is what counts. And so idol worship takes place. The thing that we really want to encourage one another is the last one, and that is ideal worship, where God is worshipped the way He should be. And this is happening constantly in our lives. You agree? That there's idol worship, there's idol, the sense of not really passionate about God, aware of Him, but not giving Him all I should. And there's ideal worship taking place. And it's not related to how we sing our songs and how many songs we sing, or how many songs we sing, but it's related to how we live our lives. So the question you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, is where do I fit in? Is it either one of those eyes? What kind of worship is relevant in your life today? And that's what we said from these last chapters of, of Exodus. There are things that we can learn about worship. And last week we looked about at two things. We said that worship involves sacrifice. That it means that I've got to let go of certain things. And we're not going to go into that. The second thing that we focused on is that worship is a personal matter. As much as Moses spent time with God, it, initially, it eventually also stirred the nation of Israel to, outside of their tents, um, make time to worship God. And so we said, you and I need to have that kind of relationship with God. The thing I want us to talk about this morning is that worship starts from a deep persuasion that we need to have. And, and I want to take you to these verses, and I want to do something different. The Word of God is important, isn't it? I agree. I want to ask you to stand with me as we read the Word together. Let's stand in honor, and in honor of God's Word, let's stand together. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to read these verses to you. You can follow me. You don't have to read it out aloud. But I want us just to recognize God's Word as an important um, aspect of how we live our lives and so in standing this morning lord even this way we we recognize the importance of your word so we read together from exodus chapter 34 it says in verse 1 the lord said to moses cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and i will write on the tablets uh, the words that were on the first tablets which you broke be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to mount sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain no one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, as, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all of the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. We thank God for His Word this morning. Amen? You're welcome to take your seats. We find here this very unique thing happen. God had been speaking to His people through the lives of various ones that, that were around until this time. The Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, the Josephs the Moseses. This is actually the first time that we find from verses 6 that God reveals his character to them in such a way. They've seen his hand. They've noticed what he's able to do, but they've not heard from God about his character as much as they find it being revealed to him, to them here. Remember, we said that they were released from Egypt for worship. And as God brings them out of the slavery live into what he has for them, he says, the only way real possible for you, this is my assumption that I'm making, but I dare to declare it to you this morning. I believe this is what God now at this moment is trying to help them understand. That he says, I want you to come and worship me. But guess what? You don't really know me. You've seen my hand, but I want you to know my heart. I want you to understand my character. So this is actually the first time in the Bible that we see the, a, 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 the, the revelation of God's character so that worship could become really possible. And so this is an incredibly significant moment that the people of Israel could from this moment on, and it's quite interesting because in verse 8, when Moses had heard what God said to him as he was with him on the mountain, it says, and Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. God had not done anything. God had spoken about who he is. And so the response came as so incredibly relevant and so amazingly powerful that Moses bowed his head and he worshipped. And so when God reveals, when he says, I'm merciful and gracious, slow to anger, as we read in those verses, 10, 6 down, 
He is steadfast in love, abounding in steadfast in love, actually, and faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgressions. It says that there will be, sin, there will be consequences to your sin, but repentance can break that. We know that. And so often people stumble here a little bit. They say, well, the sins of the forefathers will come down to the third and the fourth generation. But when repentance is made as the third and fourth generation, me being, I'm, I'm released of what my fathers have done. I don't carry that sin with me. I can repent and say, God, if anything had, done, had been happening in their lives, please forgive me for what they've done. But I don't want to live with the consequences of that. That's not what the Lord says that you will suffer for the rest of your lives. And some people will live with that curse upon them, that burden, that my forefathers, and I know my forefathers had been terrible, as as terrible as I am, and had been, but I thank God for His grace and His forgiveness, and that He does extend. And we, isn't it so sad that we get more stuck on the fact that He says He will visit the uh, the, the guilty up to the third and fourth generation, but we don't fo- focus on the keeping steadfast love for thousands. We so easily focus on the negative instead of the positive. God says, I will, I will be with you forever. You've got to just make sure that you don't carry sins with you. Deal with sin. Deal with stuff. If you're aware of stuff that your forefathers had done, say, God, please forgive them and forgive me. I don't want to Keep on living under that curse, and God's grace is there to set you free. So here God's nature comes, and, and it's been revealed to His people so that they may worship Him. It's all about worship, ladies and gentlemen. God reveals Himself so that this could happen. And it's out of this revelation of His character that we learn more about what He will do. He says, I will, in verse 10, I will make a covenant with you. He says, I will do marvels. He says in verse 10, the latter part, you shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do for you. He says, I will drive out your enemy, and I will be jealous for you. I think this is where we, where it becomes difficult for us, is that all of these things, all of these wonderful things about who God is, is often things that we are ignorant of. And so we want to worship, but there's a lack of this. The character, the nature of God is often not part of our thinking. What we are more aware of are the issues and the things that we face and our own capabilities and what people have done and what people you know, say about us and, and our identity is formed by the world around us, but we don't go to the character and nature of God often enough to consider that and stand still this is a beautiful moment. You're going to just try to picture this with me. So Moses is instructed by God. He says, what you did last time when we did these tablets, you broke them. We're going to have to do all of that. And I'm going to write it on the tablets, all the laws that I want you to take to my people. But you know what? Before we do that, come aside. Don't let anybody else come. Because I want to show you something. I want to show you who I am. Not just what I expect of you. I want you going to take down again to the people and say, these are the laws that God says we need to abide by. But I want you to do one thing first. I want you to become quiet. I don't want anybody else. Look at it. It says there shouldn't even be herds and, 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 and animals around grazing. And it says, possibly saying, don't be distracted, Moses. I'm so concerned about you catching who I am 
because that will sustain you forever. The question is, what is sustaining you and me today? What are we standing on in terms of our walk with God? Is it just a knowledge about God that He's somewhere there, or is it a knowledge of God? And so here we find this beautiful thing happening. It's very significant. It's absolutely key for us to consider that this is the way in which the people are now invited into a lifestyle of worship. God says, this is who I am. I want you to know who I am. Who is God to you today? Not just what do you know about Him, but who is He? What do you talk about when you say, this is God to me? What would be your your reference? What would be your answer when people ask you, who is God to you? What do you, not just what do you know about God? After He created the earth and He sent His Son Jesus to die and when Jesus left, Holy Spirit came. Those are wonderful facts and it's all true. But deep down, what is the revelation that you have of God? Because that is the very thing that will enable you to worship Him, to engage Him. Worship that says starts with seeing. Seeing who God is. Seeing not obviously physically, but seeing Him from Scripture. Getting to know Him for who He is is helping us to see Him. The more we look at Him, the more we will be persuaded about Him, about His wonder, which will then affect our worship of Him. The more we look at Him. I believe it is impossible not to worship Jesus when we have a revelation of who He is and what He has done. I also believe that it is impossible to worship Jesus unless we have a revelation of who He is. Because what do we worship? Isn't it true that there's also, we spoke about idol worship? And there are various forms of, of, of idol worship. It could be the worship of nature. It could be the worship of people. It could be the worship of, of money. And, and we study those things, isn't it? You don't worship something that you haven't spent time on. It's like worshiping, whatever, motor cars. And, and you just love cars. You just study them. You Google them. You read up. You go and look at them. You, and it's not wrong to be interested in stuff. But sometimes it becomes worship because we form our lives around them because we study it. We get to know more about it. And it's the same with God. The more we read, the more we study, the more we look into who Jesus is, the more our worship is influenced. The less we do it, the less our worship will be. There's a beautiful verse that I want to take you to in Hebrews. And you've got to understand just a little bit about the, the context of this. In Hebrews chapter 2, if you'd like to go there with me and um, look into that. It says in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 2, therefore. Just say with me that word, therefore. Therefore means there was something said before that's important that the author of this book reminds us about. So he says, what I've just written, I want you to use that for a particular purpose. 
So in chapter 1, if you read the whole chapter, it's a beautiful chapter all about Jesus. Just about Jesus. And so when we get to the first verse of the next chapter, the therefore is in line with what has just been said. It says then, verse 1 of chapter 2, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So what we have heard is who Jesus is. Isn't it? So what we had heard about Jesus and, and amazing he is, is what we need to focus on. And the author here says, if we do not keep on fo focusing on that, we will drift away from it. So our worship will be affected by being inattentive to who Jesus is from this particular portion here. Do you see it? Chapter 1 is just about Jesus. He then says, because of Jesus, keep on focusing on Him, lest you drift away from it. Your worship, my friend, will be affected by our attention given to Christ or not. When we cease to look at God, when we drift away from who He is, I want to suggest to you we cease to worship God. That's why the, the point that I'm trying to make is that the worship of God starts at this persuasion that we have of who he is this absolute conviction that we carry in our hearts of who is Jesus to you do you study him do you look at him do you, do you consider what the word of God says about him so that inevitably your worship will be affected by what you see whatever we look at constantly will take control of our minds and it could potentially become worship. There's a man called J.K. Chesterton. He said the following, When we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We worship anything. When we cease to worship God, in other words, if we stop looking at God and stop considering God and can stop studying God, we will cease to worship God. And that doesn't mean that we will not worship God nothing it's not oh, i'm just worshiping i'm not worshiping god so i'm not worshiping anything no we will inevitably worship something or perhaps even anything when we cease to look at god the tendency is that we look at something else which then becomes our focus of worship so whatever focus you have currently in your life could potentially be your worship only you can answer that. So I want to do a, a very practical thing with you this morning. I've never done this in, in all the time that I've been preaching. And so I'm going to ask you to focus on what is going to come up on the board. And I, and I know that there's all sorts of distractions sometimes in meetings like this with people next to you, whatever else. But try you to focus on this because it's just simply something that I want to give you as a simple handle to see how easy it is to let your focus be on God and that that focus then affect the, how you actually eventually could worship God. All right? So it's just a simple, I'm not going to con you into anything, so don't worry about your wallets. You can stay relaxed. Um, I'm going to put up this verse. Um, John chapter 6. And verse 35. 
I'll give you time. You can read it in your own Bible. You can read it. It's up on the screen. All of you can be engaged in it. I'll give you some questions. We're not going to go there yet. The questions are going to come for the very purpose of just helping you see what you could gain. This is in your hands. You're not going to give homework on this. You're not going to write an essay or anything like that. It's for your own personal growth and health and help. And so that verse is going to stay up there and a question will come up with that verse in mind. So you're going to keep on referring to this verse, all right? So the first question from this verse is, if Jesus says that he is the bread of life, what does this mean to you? You can think about it. Could even be helpful to write it down, to go think about it even more. But this is part of helping you to let the Word of God grip your heart, that it not just become information, but transformation, okay? So that's that exercise. And so we're just simply doing this today to help you and also to keep you from falling asleep perhaps, maybe I'm talking too much, giving you some work to do while I'm also working so that not just one person works, but all of us work together, isn't it? And so this is for your help, all right? And, and for your benefit. So just think about that. If Jesus says, he is a bread of life, what does that actually mean to you? If you consider the word bread, obviously has some incredible symbolic meaning to it. What does that mean to you? Okay, going to the next question, still on the same verse. So there are two promises here. I'm not going to tell you what they are. You can surely find them yourself. What impact could they have on your life if you would apply them today? There are two promises here that Jesus makes. What impact could those promises have on your life if you would apply them? Just think about that. Right? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Clearly two promises there. What does that actually mean if I would apply those things? The third question we want to ask, there's going to be four, so don't worry. Third question is, are there any adjustments you need to make in your in coming to Jesus and believing in Him, and what could they be? So currently in your life, are there any adjustments that you think you need to make in this whole pursuit of coming? Because it says here, Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life, whoever 
comes to me, whoever believes in me. So two things that we are called to do, isn't it? We need to come to him. We need to believe in him. So what adjustments do you think you need to make currently in your life in, those, in regards to those two things? Coming to him and believing to him. And, and what do you think those adjustments could be? I'm sure that none of us would say, I don't think there's any adjustments that I need to make. I need to make some. And I think it's relevant for all of us. Because ultimately, why are we doing this? It is so that we will have a persuasion about who God is, so that it will influence our worship of God. So this is just simply, I'm not conning you into anything. It's just helping you understand how important it is to have a conviction in your heart about God, about our lives with God, so that ultimately our worship of God will be affected by what we think and where we think we are and what God needs to adjust in our lives. Last thing I want to ask, and, and by the way, these are things that you can go and do on your own time. This is great Sunday afternoon homework for you, all right? The fourth question is, how can the application of this verse affect your daily worship of Jesus? How can the application of this verse affect your daily worship of Jesus? It says, I'm the bread of life. My goodness, that's a wonderful statement. That's a promise that he makes. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. What a great promise. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. How will these things that Jesus illustrates or says to us, promises to us about who he is, revealing some of his character to us, how will that affect your daily worship of Jesus at this time in your life? We've been set free from, to be set free for worship. Our worship of Him is directly dependent on the persuasion or conviction we have of Him. And John 6.35 is just a simple verse to help us understand how we can use. There are so many verses in the Bible that we can use and we can ask similar questions to help us see God, I want to let my heart change. I want to see who you are so that my heart will change towards you in worship. Ultimately, it's not about information gathering. It's about transformation of our souls and our lives. And this is a lifelong study, by the way. This is what we do for the rest of our lives. Every time we pick up, we pick up the Bible, we say, God, what I read about you, help me to let it change the way I think about you and if I think about myself and I think about people so that ultimately my worship towards you will be infect, affected by it. There's a man, J.I. Packer, I want to quote this to you. I want to just put it up here, what he wrote. He says, listen to this. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God, looking at God, beholding Him, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. So ladies and gentlemen, it's not 
hey, we're forcing anything on you. We're just inviting one another to a lifelong study of who Jesus is so that our worship of God could come from a persuasion that we have internally of who He is. Our worship can never be forced. Come on, get up and clap your hands. Come on, come on, you got to do it now. Come on, smile. Come on, you got to be more happy. No, no, the more I see who He is, it changes me internally that it is easy to. Sometimes I don't understand why people can just... I love you, Lord, with all my heart. Da, 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 da. I don't understand that. I just have a very outgoing personality, so I love to jump up and down and go wild because Jesus is just amazing. I find it easy to do that. I understand that some of you don't. I just don't understand when we have this incredible understanding of a beautiful picture of who Jesus is from Scripture that we can't get up and go wild because we do that for sport. Come on. I say the revelation of Jesus is therefore limited. We've got to grow in that. It's a lifelong study, ladies and gentlemen. Not just one John 6, verse 35 has got to be studied. The whole Bible, so that we can go wild for Christ and not be ashamed of it. Because He is amazing. He's awesome. He has all the reason to be worshipped and praised. There's no excuse. Not your personality, whatever. Praise the Lord for that we are different. But you know... The image of Christ, the beauty of who He is, should penetrate our being that we'll fall down on our faces in front of Him and worship Him for who He is. I want to just close and give you these four things. Why study Him? Why look at Him? Why consider Him? And we're not going to go through those verses. Why study God? It's first of all because it pleases Him. You can write these things down. Colossians 1 verse 10. It pleases Him. When you do that, when we increase in the knowledge of God, it pleases Him. You can go read it. The second thing it does, knowing the truth about God takes us deeper in our worship of God. John 4, Jesus speaking to the lady at the well, He says, you will, The Father is looking for those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not just in spirit, but also in truth. The truth of who God is helps us to worship Him in spirit. So I've got to grow in that. It brings a third thing. It brings deep satisfaction to us when we know who God is. And Jesus said this in John 15, the joy I have is a joy that I want you to have because the joy I have is the joy I have in my Father. And I want you to be similarly satisfied in knowing me and having joy in me. And so when we study Him, it brings deep satisfaction to us by knowing who He is. And lastly, it settles us in the reliability of who God is, that He is the one that's dependable, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Romans 8, it just gives you so clear evidence of that. And so this is why we study God, not to walk away and say, I've got a degree or I've got some knowledge about God, but I've got an internal persuasion of who my God is. I'm convicted that He's real that He's loving, that He's kind, that no matter what I go through, it'll keep me stable so that my worship will not be affected. Oh, I don't feel like worship today. Why? Because, you know, Zessa. Oh, this and that and whatever reason. It's just always, always a reason, isn't it? We'll always find a reason. There's always stuff around us that'll keep us from worshiping. But that's why when we know Jesus, it sets us free from the stuff. And our worship is never ending. Exodus was written so that you and I can understand God took us from something and He's released us into something else. And at 
Exodus 34, he comes with this beautiful, beautiful, significant thing, and he reveals who he is so that we can internally be persuaded about his character and his nature so that worship will never end, will never stop. Let's pray together. Jesus, help us to carefully consider you. Every day of our lives, Lord God, help us to make time to consider, to carefully consider you, to really look at you, to study you, so that internally, Lord God, we could become so persuaded of who you are, of your incredible kindness and love. And as, as you revealed yet to Moses that you're merciful, that you're abounding in steadfast love. Help us, Lord God, to grow in that. Not only just in our minds, but in our spirits. That our worship to you will be authentic and real. And literally 24-7. Father, I pray for us as a church that we will grow in this that we will flourish in this and that Lord God we will extend this to our world out there who so desperately need to see how real God is it starts by them looking at how we worship you not on Sundays but every other day of our lives I trust you for that in Jesus precious name amen amen